That's right. I'm here. I'm your neighbor. another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. The Raj Nation. I am your show's host, the founder of Raj Nation Innovation, as well as a hip-hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co-host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog, almondsandasana.com. She is also a yoga instructor and the community activist focused on helping you make lifestyle choices that positively impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. We have reached our season finale, and in this episode, we sit down with Lisa Sohanpal. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Nom Nom's World Food. Our conversation with Lisa is around the question, how do you build strong teams, specifically as she works with a distributed global workforce? Before we dive into that conversation, I'd like to extend an invitation if you are not a member already. Join our tribe by going to discoveryouryinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there and you will never miss another episode of this show. Getting an email in your inbox every single Monday when we release new episodes. You'll also get my advice and tips for telling your startup story throughout the week. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Lisa Sohanpal. How do you build strong teams? Let's listen in. I came from corporate world where, you know, building strong teams, we were getting trained on that and making sure you have a, you know, diverse a set of skill sets within the team. You've got your know, personalities, different personalities and how to adapt to them. Um, but now having my own business and starting um, from scratch and building teams uh, from the beginning, uh, your ideal team, it's, uh, it's, it's, even more challenging, I have to say, because you've got to, you're always trying to trying to find someone that's got heart and soul and believes in what you believe in um, and has a lot of passion for what you do and feels inspired by it. Um, and during the interviews, of course, you know, you will get some, some of those uh, reactions and you think, oh, I found the right person. Yeah, I've got this person. It's going to be great. But then it, as time goes on, you then learn a little bit more about um, the people that you're bringing into your team, and you find that you know it, it's it's a it's a really really challenging, and you don't really know until you find you come across a, a uh, an issue, a challenge that you have to address together as a team, and that's where I find out a lot about my team their skills, their ambition, their passion, their, you know, how they think. Um, 
how are they going to get get out of this situation and what is the next uh, solution? You know, just problem solving. And that's when you really find out about the strength of your team uh, and how well they can, uh, you know, transpire those those skill sets across different kinds of challenges. And as a startup um, business, there are never-ending challenges. <laughs> and the biggest challenge for me is uh, that I have to manage my team remotely, pretty much. So I'm, I live in Toronto. My team is based in UK and Europe. And uh, we have a team of uh, five at the moment in Paris. We have a few, uh, and then we've also got in London. But to me, building a strong team is not just my immediate team, but it's also all the stakeholders involved. You know, we're, we're dealing with distributors, we're dealing with buyers, we're, you know, forming partnerships. And together, this is all part of the teamwork um, that we have to manage at different levels. So it, it, for me, the, chal- the challenges have changed from this environment that I've come from, from corporates to to going into startup and then managing remotely has had its own set of challenges. Um, but there's, yeah, there's no magic formula. You've really got to go with your gut, but also keep on assessing um, ongoing based on the situations that uh, we encounter. One of the things that's absolutely crucial for an early stage startup is getting those first few hires Correct, because that can you know that can make or break a company if they if essentially if they bet you don't want it to be a, yeah. a gamble or a bet, but essentially if you bet exactly. on the wrong person. So you know yeah. you know you said there's no magic formula or anything, which there isn't. But what are some of the things just in the team you've collected so far, and as you look to expand the team over the next year or so? Yeah, what are some of the qualities you are looking for and? What are some effective ways to be able to screen for those qualities? Yes, uh, screening, such an important process. Um, so first of all, communication is, is key. Uh, there's, and, and testing that communication is also asking the big open questions, letting them explain or sell themselves is, is uh, one of the things that I look for. If they can sell themselves, then that's a great start uh, to be able to sell the brand. And, and with a startup especially, whenever you are out and about, it doesn't matter if you're in operations or, you know, back office or you're in sales or marketing, which is more, you know, customer-oriented and uh, front of office, but the, whichever part, role you're playing in, in, in a startup business, you have to continuously sell. You're selling in, in your, within your team always, uh, to get buy-in for what you want to progress with. But you also, when you're going to networking events or you're representing the company at meetings, um, you know, you are selling the business, you're selling the product, you're selling you. I mean, this you're the face of the brand. So communication is key. How that person um, really sells themselves is, is important. Uh, the passion, um, the way they express themselves. But I'll also, um, you know, ask some of the real-life challenging questions, uh, perhaps something that we have gone through ourselves and how would that person um, answer or adapt or uh, come to a solution on solving that problem. And I will also be looking out for how collaborative they are in their thinking. 
Um, and if it's just a, a me, me, me situation or is it something that they feel um, strength in a team, you know, because you need union, you need strength and you need to be able to call upon each other uh, to build a, a stronger foundation moving forward. But in startup, you're right. You've got to get it. You've got to get the right skill set um, and passion from the beginning, but also knowing that that person is willing to get their hands dirty because in startup world, you're doing everything. Yeah, I mean, there's no defined role. Uh, you can't expect if you're going for a job in marketing that that's all you're going to do and you're not going to help, you know, you're not going to probably sometimes do a sales function or, you know, go in and do some operations as well or whatever it is or pack some meals and uh, wear your heels and uh, take trains and carry the food and, <laughs> you know, set up stands, you know, you've got to get your, your hands dirty and you shouldn't be shy from that. And I would always be looking out for uh, initiative, uh, initiative and um, passion and just, you know, that willingness to go the extra mile. One of the things I really like what you said there was the sort of the ability to, can they express and can they sell themselves? To me, I think that's such a good indication specifically in a sales role or a marketing role, uh, if they can be successful, is if they can talk about themselves in a way that makes you want to buy into them. And what I have seen is prevalent, not just in startup world, but across the board, I would say, is people hating having to talk about themselves. And I say that to the extent that my previous business was built around helping people figure mm -hmm. out how to talk about themselves. Now my current business is helping people figure out how to talk about themselves and their company um, yeah. so they can get funded. And for you, when you think about um, you know, that situation where someone has to sell themselves mm -hmm. um, or even in situations where you have to sell, you know, convince other people of you, of Lisa and of Nom Noms, yeah. Yeah. what have you found works well for you? For me personally? Yeah. I think uh, the, that personal story and that connection to the brand, um, that has worked um, amazingly well. You know, when I, when I first started up, I had actually two business ideas that I wanted to go with. And, um, and, and I started both of them just to see, you know, how, you know, which one it is that I'm going to make hugely successful. Um, and we, and we just, we went into this uh, startup weekend and, I formed a team and we pitched to investors and uh, we got, you know, we got interest for, from an investor and then that investor called me into the office and um, asked me that one question. It's not related to nom noms, it was the other business idea. And the one question was, how did you come up with this idea and why do you think it, you know, it, um, it's important uh, to bring this business to 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 market and it was a business in 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 technology um i just uh, came up with an idea that i thought was great but i didn't have any connection with it and it just i i stumbled i just thought oh i just think <laughs> you know to be honest i just think it's a great idea and i think it can help a lot of people but in terms of me personally it, it just didn't connect with me and it was that day when i decided Actually, it, I'm going to focus on nom-noms because there is that personal connection. There's, um, and it came out of a personal need. 
And that's what I can tell uh, with my story and how I brought the idea to life and why why we're going down a certain path with storytelling and through packaging and everything. Um, because it, it came out of a personal need and I can really relate to it. And when, and when buyers or investors or whoever listens uh, to the story, then they can also relate to it as well because it's to do with food, it's to do with convenience, you know, and it's to do with everyday kind of challenges of uh, busy working parents or your professionals. So, so yeah, so I think the personal story is really important. It's really helped me um, in selling my brand and my product. Um, as far as the team is concerned, uh, they need to feel inspired about what the the business they, they're joining and the products and how we are helping people and feel really good about it. If they don't feel that from inside, it's going to be very hard to sell and, and they're probably not the best fit for the brand. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm curious when you first, um, when you first got this started, how from like a team building perspective, what were the very first roles that you hired for and how did you know that those were the needs that you needed to fill? Yeah, so the first role, so I came from a medical uh, background and so I was in medical devices and I started a business in the food industry. So it was a lot of learning from my perspective. I really had to know the food industry to be able to sell into it and understand everything. Um, so I was looking for people that were within the food industry that had that insight, already know how, you know, how it all works and so we don't have to go through that learning all over again. So that was the first thing, is to look for um, experience and insight within the industry that, I, that I'm going into and that could add value to me um, as the CEO and the founder in, in the direction the business can take. So that was the first role, um, food industry but sales oriented because without getting any orders, uh, you're not going to have a product to sell. You, know? you can create the brand, you can create the product, but if you can't sell it um, and there's no orders and then forget about it, you can just go home. So sales was the first one. And then then it started to um, expand into, okay, now we need operations and now we need, you know, um, more back office support. But in terms of sales function, I still do a lot of the sales myself. I did hire some salespeople and then I got rid of them really quickly too <laughs> because I – I just didn't feel that they were doing a great job at selling the selling the passion in terms of they didn't have the passion, so they couldn't sell it, uh, and that was lacking. And so, in terms of developing like the recipes and the food and how you make the food, was that you know obviously you guys you came up with the initial idea, but how much help did you need, and how quickly did you bring? people or a person on who sort of helped to develop and curate that? Oh, that was really uh, fun. Um, we had the whole family involved mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, um, my in-laws especially. So <laughs> you know, father-in-law was a chief stirrer, yeah. mother was, the, <laughs> was the, you know, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the chef and then the grandmother-in-law was quality control and she was making sure every carrot was cut to the right size and mother-in-law <laughs> learned very quickly that she had to scale everything and weigh everything and every pinch you know when you convert a kitchen recipe to a commercial recipe a pinch could turn into like 
you know, 20 kilogram uh, bag uh, that goes into it. So she was getting uh, better and better at um, measuring and uh, writing everything down. So it was a huge, um, it was an interesting process because we must have made around uh, 50 different types of dishes, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from around the world. And Nom Nom's World Food actually started off as mini Nom Nom's, really. Um, It started off as a children's food brand. Uh, you know, for kids to inspire them to have, you know, healthy, nutritious and diverse cuisines from a, from a young age. So we, you know, we made five different types of, you know, butter chicken and biryani and tagines and all sorts of different dishes and took it to the daycare on a Saturday and invited all the parents um, to do, to bring their kids and do some taste testing. And, um, Oh, I remember, <laughs> I remember we just spent like 24 hours slaving in the kitchen, making all the food, different types. We had about 10 or 15 different types of dishes that we were going to take. And then I was getting text messages from Jasmine's mom, you know, saying, oh, you know, Lisa, Jasmine doesn't eat foreign food. So just to let you know, in case she doesn't try it. Oh, like, oh great. And then. Oh, you know, another text message. Oh, Aaron, you know, he's never been exposed to spices. So if it's spicy, you know, he, he might not like it. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Peanut jelly. butter and jelly sandwiches for all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I was thinking, oh, my God, your kids are the most fussiest eaters on the planet. How am I going to... Oh my God! How what what's going to happen? This is going to be a disaster, and and I was already feeling nervous about the whole thing. Um, but anyway, we we you know lugged all the food around. We had no packaging or branding or anything. We we took it in Tupperware, and um, and and what I had to do was we found that the parents are often the barriers. Um, you know, if they're not used to cooking with spices, they're not exposed their children to this kind of food, then they're naturally going to be nervous about it. So I asked all the parents to stand on the sides near the wall <laughs> and gave all the kids multi-compartment plates, uh, trays, to go and um, choose their own food. And we were capturing on, you know, video footage and cam uh, photography on the emotions, um, you know, what what kind of food they were going towards, you know, what colors were. Yeah, I we, bet nothing green. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, I purposely didn't have much green around. <laughs> but, you know, the texture. We actually used Skittles instead of peas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, their first reaction when they tried the food. And, and it was so interesting because Jasmine was going back for seconds and thirds and Aaron was licking the bowl of the chutney, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, oh, my God. And then I saw this mom you know, writing an essay, like pretty much on the feedback form. And you're only supposed to tick, you know, one to five. <laughs> but she's fully writing her comments and I'm getting nervous. I'm thinking, oh, no, she's probably writing a whole list of improvements that we should make or, you know, um, but actually, it's a, one of it's my first feedback form, and I framed it because it brought a tear to my eye. And and she wrote, you know, I I never expected my son to enjoy this kind of food uh, because we we've never had it when we were young, and I'm so impressed 
you know, he really loves it. When can I buy it? When is it going to become available? And, you know, and that, and that son of hers was just wanting to take it, take some home as well. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, wow, that just made it for me. I thought, okay, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. If this is a, if this is the kind of um, reaction I can get um, in terms of the food and then um, and, and make it more easier for parents to feel good about giving prepared food because four years ago when I came up with the idea, you know, prepared meals or ready meals as we call it in the UK had a stigma attached to it. You know, there was, you know, you always felt that it was processed food or, you know, mass produced and package it's got high preservatives and um, additives added and all sorts of nasties so for us it was an opportunity to revolutionize the ready meal category because there was nothing like it on the market which was truly um, authentic in flavor and made with no nasties and I think that's what we wanted to do was give that guilt-free kind of convenient option to parents that they can actually feel good about giving this food because it's made like as if it's made at, at home and and that and that kind of reaction reinforced that I should proceed. But then and then and then it was parents themselves said, "Well, we want healthy international food too. Why isn't this available for us?" And then when buyers started saying that too, that's when Mega Nom Noms was born. And so we've got mini Nom Noms for the kids and Mega Nom Noms for grown ups, and and they come under the Nom Noms World Food. Yeah, so cool. So I'm curious then you know, with sort of your scaling, how, um, because I, like what you mentioned about these sort of preconceived notions about packaged food and, uh, you know, having preservatives and, and, you know, being so mass produced that they lose the flavor and the nutrients and everything. So how are you guys doing that differently? Or, you know, kind of like, what's your philosophy and process as you scale to keep that integrity, you know, and not lose it in, in that space? Yes. Oh my God. It is the hardest thing I've done in my life. <laughs> really. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to create the most authentic, uh, you know, and healthy food and keeping it local at the same time across the world. Um, so it's not like we are, you know, making food in the UK and shipping it to the US. Uh, we are working with local, uh, large scale kitchens, so production kitchens that could deliver upon the values and the credentials of the of the food. Now, because I've come from a medical background, my husband is also a doctor, um, have, you know, creating a, a healthy brand or uh, food that's made, that carries high health credentials is part of the DNA of the brand. So it isn't so it was from day one that we were looking at the nutrition profile to make sure that, you know, there's no salt or very low salt, but no added refined sugars or preservatives, additives and all of those kind of things. Um, and so when we go to these other markets, uh, we have to work very, very closely with their um, development chefs who have to redevelop all of our recipes using local ingredients, locally sourced um, and, and replicate that flavor and quality before we can actually release it into the local market. So, and that's why it is incredibly challenging. It's a huge headache for me <laughs> because, you know, like I'm based in Toronto, so I do have to travel quite a lot uh, and I wouldn't approve any 
any of our food going out into the market until I've personally tasted it, tested it, and and feel good that it is, um, you know, it's it's what our customers want. Coming back to the the uh, idea of teams, kind of what you said there, I would I would view that as almost an extension of your team, even if it is yeah. facilities you have to contract with and hire out. Now, can you talk through what I've always found fascinating whenever I see companies like yours that are involve essentially like production facilities, right? Yeah. Um, is figuring out like how did that CEO figure out these are the this is the facility we're going to go with, and yeah. and I'll even take it back to an earlier point you mentioned where you said with some salespeople you had some and then you fired them, and I think knowing when to Fire is actually very key in this early stage process as well. Knowing when to hire is is clutch, but if that doesn't pan out as you'd hoped, knowing yeah. when to fire as well. So whether it is your own internal team members, your own salespeople, or those who are contracted out on the production side, yeah, how is it that you know? Okay, well, this is the production we're going to go with, and then whether it's internal or external, what's yeah. your litmus test for it's time to fire? Yeah. Really good. Um, so in terms of working with all these external partners and uh, trying to get the, you know, the production out, it, it's, uh, it's really, really hard for startups. First of all, like you pitch to investors, you have to pitch to the production kitchen. <laughs> you know, you have to get their buy-in and they need to believe in you that you've got a product that is innovative, that is um, hitting you know, the key gaps in the market and that it is going to be successful. For them, they don't want to take risks uh, with small sta uh, scale startups and they see a lot that come through. And for, and for them also, it, it um, you know, it takes them away from their regular day-to-day -day contracts that they have to fulfill. So to, uh, to really, we have to pitch to them, I have to pitch to them and entice them and show them the potential and you know really make them believe in what I'm creating is something that is going to work uh, for them as well as us uh, because these days you know even manufacturing uh, kitchens and big corporates are looking to innovate and it's very hard to innovate it takes a lot longer for them to do it internally it's much easier and quicker if they can take on a ready product or ready brand. So initially, four years ago, nobody wanted to talk to me, really. Um, and there was a lot of no's. No, 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 no. <laughs> I said, I want to do this. No, can't do that. And and it was basically, basically centered around I was trying to create something different that wasn't done in the industry. And because they are so used to producing at mass scale for what the supermarkets want at a certain price, um, their equipment and their and everything, all the equipment, all the tooling and everything that goes on isn't capable to produce at small scale. So it's a chicken and egg situation. First of all, it's, okay, how many pallets? That was the first question. How many pallets per week do we need to produce for you? And I'm like, pallets? <laughs> how what, how, how many meals be on a pallet? You know, <laughs> it was like that kind of um, learning experience where, oh, I need to go and get the um, sales interest first. Is anyone going to buy this product? Are the customers interested? 
then is a, a buyer going to list the product before I can even forecast and go back to the manufacturers and say, okay, this is a kind of uh, volume of business I can bring to the table. This is, you know, when we need to start. This is a makeup of the recipes. Will you produce for me? And even then it was like, no, 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 no. Uh, it, it took a lot of convincing um, to get it, to get them to do it at a smaller scale. And then now it's a different story because we've we've gone through many different manufacturers. Right? So either um, either they do say yes and then they can't produce to the volume of uh, business that I was bringing to the table or they don't have the capabilities to do everything that my brand needs. And so therefore I need to work with multiple uh, production kitchens to source the products to make up our uh, full combination. Um, so knowing who to use uh, from the beginning is, it, you can only know once you know how you want your product to be made and how how much of it you need to be for it to be made. Uh, because then we had to keep on changing our brief uh, depending on who we want to, to make our product. So we, we'd have to sacrifice some of the things that we wanted because if we don't, it's going to cost us more money to go to multiple manufacturers. So we've got to sacrifice a few things, get the product out there, and then work with them to build a longer-term partnership and then, you know, get get more of our what we wanted initially back into the into the picture. So, yeah, it's, it's incredibly challenging. So, so we, I had to make quick decisions on that because I've been – at the beginning, so I've learned now over four years, but at the beginning, you're at their mercy. You have no choice. You have to work with them. Otherwise, you won't get a product out. So you have to compromise a lot. But now I know the questions to ask and uh, the certifications that they need. You know, we, we've gone through a whole process and then at the end found out they didn't have a certain certificate that our retailer needed to launch our product, and therefore we, we we couldn't just we couldn't get on the shelf because they didn't have that certificate, and for them to get that certificate meant um, they had to invest hundreds and thousands of um, pounds, and also it would take another six to eight months. So we had to then go find another producer to then start all over again, and that's why it's taken so long to get this product um, to market. It's because of these kind of challenges that we've been facing. Um, not asking the right questions because we didn't know what the right questions were at the beginning. But now, now that we're entering North America, having the experience from the UK, uh, Europe, now I know that, that there are certain questions I need to know upfront before I even progress any further discussion. And, and so, yeah, it's a learning experience. Let's pause 60 seconds for this public service announcement for you startup founders out there listening. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is brought to you by Raj Nation Innovation. If you are not familiar yet with Raj Nation Innovation, let me tell you real quick. I talk to founders pretty much every day who flat out tell me, Raj, we suck at telling our story. Well, my job is to remove the suck. With Raj Nation Innovation, I blend a unique background in both branding and songwriting because, as I'm sure you know if you've been listening to this show, I am also a hip-hop artist, and so I look at business communication through the lens of entertainment and performance. And with that approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their pitch, their story, and their message 
so they can go raise investor capital and acquire their early customers. Companies like FanFood, Keo, Jiffy Rides, Muses, and more have all gone through my signature brand communication playbook and come out on the other side winning pitch competitions, raising seed funding, and being masters of telling their story. Holler at me at www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J nationinnovation.com. Back now to the show. Something that I have noticed in just my own experience, because I, I think regardless of industry, there are always going to be several moving parts, um, several functions that have to be run by one person or spread across several people. And I've noticed that in previous working environments and other just team scenarios in general, that the toxicity of a bad personality yeah. is almost, it's more, it's, it's more pervasive mm. than the positivity of a good personality. So like I remember yeah. in high school, there was someone on our track team who just like was so full of himself and, you know, most of the team couldn't stand. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and there was always these, these little like run-ins you'd have, um, you know, whatever, 15, 16 year old boys going through puberty are going to have that. <laughs> But I think that can happen in an adult environment as well. And then yeah. what I think is actually really funny is, and then someone new came onto the team who was like a freshman. Yeah. And then this kid was full of himself. <laughs> and so it was, what is it? Like my enemy's enemy is my friend, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so the original guy who everyone was like, ah, oh, that guy didn't like the young kid. So then it was like, we would like to team up with him and yeah. not like the young kid together. And what doesn't happen though is someone really positive and really helpful comes in and people join together in the name of positivity mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why that's the case I think people like hating more than they like loving <laughs> well, and I think I think oftentimes because I've been in that situation in in I can I can think of multiple times yeah. when I've been in the exact situation where I'm on a team at work and there's one person who just essentially sucks the life out of everything, you know, and they make everything really difficult. Energy vampires. Yeah, an energy vampire. And, you know, they make everything really difficult and they add this whole extra complicated layer to things. I think that's sort of the thing that I've always seen is that there's like, everything's going fine except this person always finds a way to like make everything more challenging you know whether from whether a you know it's drama or just you know whatever somehow complicating things and that always or ego. yeah or ego yeah usually some variation of that and that does often overshadow the good things that everyone else is doing um so that is probably a really interesting it, it, that's something that's very easy to identify once it happens, but probably really hard to identify when you're just bringing someone or some organization on in the yeah. first place. Yeah, totally. I, I agree with you. It's, it's very, um, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Especially, you know, when you're going on a certain path and you've got a certain group of people that are, you know, that are going in the same direction. And then you've got that one person that's going in the opposite direction. Um, and, and and I find out in a different way now. So, you know, because there's so many moving parts all the time and there's a lot um, that we as a team have to take on um, to do and meet a lot of deadlines and, and everything else. And so... What I found is that I had a, I had a, a person that used to complain all the time. And, you know, that's draining. Oh, I love those people. Oh, <laughs> my God. You know, and, and you just want 
okay, you're complaining, but where's the solution? Give me the solution. Uh, you know, I would have my own solutions that I can po come up with, but you've really got to take, make them accountable for it, you know. You've got to ask them to think a little bit more um, about how how can they solve this issue that's making them so upset. And, and there's different either hierarchies or degrees um, that people get upset with certain things. It's like, that wouldn't even affect me one little bit. And why is it affecting you like, <laughs> at that level? And it was incredibly draining, especially, um, you know, managing from, uh, from another country. So you're not always there. So you've got to rely a lot on, you know, phone conversations or text messaging and, you know, all forms of media, WhatsApp, this and that and everything. Um, and then when that person is always even complaining on text messaging, <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, you've got to you've got to turn that phone off. <laughs> so I want, let's talk a little about the technology aspect of this. So you've got I think you're on three different continents right now, or three different con countries yeah. in terms of uh, team members. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then we've, we're launching in Australia too. So now it just feels like, you know, uh, 24 hours. <laughs> right. Okay, so so on the technology side of things, yeah. just advice you can give. What have you found to be the best tools to yeah. work with your team members given that you're in different time zones and radically different time zones at that? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, not, it's not like Eastern versus Central time hour apart. This is, this yeah. is UK six hours or seven hours ahead. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, it's a really good question. First of all, in terms of technology and the tools that we use, so in terms of project management and, and keeping on top of tasks, we use Asana a lot. Um, and then and Slack is now, we're using uh, Slack a little bit more now as well. But in terms of a project and meeting deadlines and, you know, categorizing them, Asana is a great tool. But WhatsApp is a, is a really quick, uh, you know, text uh, image sharing and all that uh, format that we use uh, in terms of technology. And then uh, then I'll get the odd email that, Lisa, can you send this via email? I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then I send it by email and then I'm still waiting for an answer. And I'm like, I sent it on email, sent it on WhatsApp, and then st still not getting an answer. So, you know, uh, let's just have a phone conversation about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... But um, but it, with with Australia as well, yeah. So what I was uh, going to go into was that I start work at two o'clock in the morning. Three two o'clock was this morning, but usually around three o'clock every morning. Um, so I can work to the time, yeah, to, to the time zone of uh, the UK Europe. Uh, otherwise, if I start work here at nine o'clock, it's two o'clock in the afternoon over there. So what time do you, you know, go to pretty bed? Much I do conk out at around nine, nine o'clock. <laughs> that's still <laughs> not like, that no, much. That's, that's only not like five hours of sleep. Very much sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because uh, I've got three kids, and you know, I'm reading them books at night, and and uh, I'm, I'm falling asleep. Yeah, you're you the know? one falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slurring my words, and uh, I'm seeing double vision, and you know, I'm trying to read this Harry Potter book to my son. And then I just said to him, you know, Ishan, why don't you just read to me? <laughs> <laughs> Put me to sleep. Um, that'd be good. <laughs> uh, 
so, but I do, I wake up and I have in my mind, you know, a thousand things I've got to get done, you know, in the next hour or so. And with three or four cups of coffee, by the time um, the kids wake up, you know, I've done a lot of my work and I'm buzzing <laughs> uh, to manage it. And then it comes to around one o'clock in the afternoon when UK goes home and they start preparing their dinners and family time. Um, I'm working on North America and I'm addressing everything around here locally and then uh, go pick up the kids and uh, get dinner ready and and just before I start reading them stories that I've got Australia online I, I fell asleep once with the phone in my hand you know <laughs> <laughs> we had a meeting and uh, and then I said can you look at that spreadsheet and get back to me because it's not working out and he goes okay can you call back and five minutes and then we'll continue the conversation. It was already past my bedtime, nine o'clock at night. <laughs> so, oh my. And then, you know, f five minutes later, he was calling me, but I was in La La Land. I was out. Yes. <laughs> so it sounds like your suggestion for people that are planning on having teams around the world is to just never sleep. And maybe slack. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But no, I think what drives me is because I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I see it's coming, it's happening, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna get better. But when, as I talk to other entrepreneurs that you know have gone through this whole process, they say, they say, oh, it doesn't get easier. <laughs> <laughs> the bigger the area, the bigger the problems, you know. Um, and it, for, for us, it's just. Unfortunately, it's just happening at the same time. As much as we try to phase it, and you know, you can't always control when it's going to happen. As much as you can try to, so we've just got we're just on this mission that we've got to make it work, um, and that drives me. And uh, you know, hopefully, I'll be able to get uh, more sleep in the future. But until now, it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, as crazy as. Your schedule sounds. That's that's kind of part of the game, right? It's part of the contract when you signed up for this. And, yeah. <laughs> and it and especially in the early years, it has to be yeah. that grind to get to a point. Not that it gets easier, but you start to get to a point where you can just better manage things and hire out and have regional managers uh, yeah. within countries and things like that. So, um, yeah. one other question, and then we'll um, we'll start to wrap up, but and ask kind of just a few more questions about the business, though. But um, one thing I want to get your your take on is um, on the ego side of this, more so in a more in a positive way, I would guess. But how did you make that transition from I to we in your use of pronouns? So, like, this is my idea. Like, um, here's what I'm coming up with. Versus now, here's what we're building. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and it, it all it, it all turned from I to we as soon as I got my first employee on board. Mm. That's when I started to feel more that I've now got a team that I'm building. Um, because prior to that, it was just uh, it was just me. But also with my husband, he he works as a doctor, uh, so he's not in the running of the business day to day. I mean, I wait for him to come home so I can tell him everything that's going on. <laughs> and with three kids hanging off us, mommy, 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 I have to send him emails just to uh, <laughs> tell him, give him an update, you know, a text message. But, um, but you know, when I'm pitching or when I'm presenting the, the brand, the business, I, 
I do speak as we because now we are feeling more of a team on a, on a mission, um, a, a mission to a, a mission, and you know we we do feel. I do feel that I've got, you know, I've got their support uh, with me all the time and through the highs and through the lows, you know, and that's important. You've got to be able to celebrate the success together virtually <laughs> and um, and physically when you get a chance. But, but also, you know, when there are lows that you feel that you have got your team on your side and... Um, and you can ride through those lows uh, together as well. And you can only do that through communication. If you don't have that constant communication or that feeling that um, you've got a team that's with you, then you can't call it a we, you, you know, then it is a, an I. But that, I made that transition as soon as I had my first employee, mm-hmm. and that's when I started saying we, yeah. Great. So a couple of quick questions here before we wrap up. Uh, I guess treat these as more like rapid fire. And through the course of this conversation, I think it's pretty obvious what your company does. So we don't even necessarily go into that. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think we've we've dove in pretty well into um, the kind of the depth of the business. But looking more at, I guess, the business side of things here, um, to, to, to date, has this been a bootstrap venture or did you take in funding for this? Yeah, it's pretty much bootstrapped um, and we're still bootstrapping uh, big time. Um, It's costing us more than I ever imagined um, that it would. Uh, And um, we had some, we've got some angel investors at smaller scale and mostly some, some family and friends as well, but pretty much um, self majority is self-funded and um, we will be looking at uh, raising investment. Uh, we're talking with some uh, big investors, uh, corporates, in fact, um, that can really help us scale and take us uh, to another level. I think that's a rate limiting step. Is you know, with the with the funds, you know, we can really accelerate and grow. Um, with without it, it, it's a much slower process. So we're getting there, but it's it's a slower process, a much more challenging one as well. As you look to expand now, um, what's basically what's on the horizon here for 2018? So 2018 is to execute. Um, so much of the 2017 was getting it all ready um, and getting our listings confirmed, our distributorship uh, partnerships confirmed as well. And and also, um, it's very tempting as an entrepreneur to say yes to everything, you know, um, in terms of the opportunities uh, just landing on my lap, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. But And it's so easy to say, yes, yes, we'll do it, we'll do it. But now the time has come that I really got to focus and uh, execute on what I've got. So we're not actually taking on any more business for 2018. Um, our focus is on driving it and uh, mm-hmm. executing the launch plan and go-to-market strategies um, really working through the different models that we've got in different countries to find out exactly which is the model that we're going to go with. And in, in, what I mean by that is in the UK, we're trialing a direct-to-consumer model. Uh, so we'll be delivering our, uh, like, subscription um, uh, boxes, you know, mm-hmm. with a, a, a range of wraps and mega meals and mini meals and, and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, because in the UK, we are, you know, the first family focused food brand. So we can really make it easier for families uh, for their dinner. 
And but uh, in France, and we're going directly into the supermarkets. Uh, you know, we'll be across around uh, two thousand stores uh, in France, and then in Australia, another two thousand, and then four、uh, thousand in another European country. So it's about executing and making sure operations, supply chain, and logistics is working,、um, and then and building a profitable model as well. So I've spent the last four. Four years trying to build this kind of model that's going to be a profitable、uh, business model moving forward, and so we can smoothen out our supply chain. Because in chilled food, it's incredibly challenging <laughs>、um, and a costly venture、uh, compared to an ambient product that you know just goes into the middle of the supermarket, sits on the shelf, and you don't have to worry about keeping it at the right temperature. So. We learned that, and、uh, we're smoothening that out. So it's a profitable business going forward, and then we can work on marketing and、uh, customer acquisitions and、uh, building that story. We also、um, we, every for every meal purchase, we feed a hungry child in India, and I guess this is a why in the what we're doing. It's the essence of the brand. It's about、um, a social conscious and bringing it to life. About the difference we can make in another child's life,、um, and we're going to be implementing technology and creating virtual reality experiences for our consumers to really take them to India to see the difference they're making in that child's life. And that child that wants to、uh, stay off the street and and goes to school, walks 20 kilometers to go to school because they're guaranteed a midday meal、uh, from Nom Noms, and that they can then continue their education and. You know, become a doctor, a dancer, a photographer, and all these dreams that they、um, had. We we are actually making them come al- come alive, and it's and we're getting case stories, case studies now of these kids,、um, the difference that we've made, and it's so inspiring. And it's just it helps us with our story, with our mission, and and we want to deliver that in different languages、uh, in the countries that we're going to be present. Excellent. Where can our listeners find Nom Noms and、uh, get in touch? So www.nomnomswellfood.com is our website, and then we're also very active on Instagram, Nom Noms World. Also, I've got an Instagram profile too at Lisa Sonbar, and、uh, Facebook as well with Nom Noms World Food. And LinkedIn too. So yeah, we're we're across all the social platforms. You can't miss us. <laughs> awesome.、Uh, it's fun to say too. Nom noms world food. <laughs> <laughs> do you know? Do you know what that means? Nom noms. Do you know what nom noms means? Like the sound you make when you're eating. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, hang on. You miss one important word. It's the sound that one makes when eating delicious food.、Mm. Ah. Okay. So true. You do not. You're ready. You're ready for Shark、bad. Tank. <laughs> All right. So then, to wrap up, we'll go one by one and give our answer to today's question.、Uh, we'll start with Victoria and Lisa. We will close with you, Victoria. Our question today was: How do you build strong teams? I think this is a really tough one to answer, <laughs>、um, and I think that just what, one thing I'll say based on this conversation is, and I haven't really had to do this yet, so.、Um, But I think it's being open to the fact that people may or may not work out, and、um, you know, 
organizations that you work with or manufacturers that you work with or, you know, all of these um, contractors, whatever that you bring on. I think just being open to the fact that it's all going to be a learning process and you're probably not going to end up with the exact same people or, you know, collaborative partners that you started with, you know, down the road and being, being okay with that. Um, because it sounds like Lisa, you had some experience where you, you know, brought people on and then realized, okay, actually that wasn't the right decision, but you were able to make the second decision to walk away and say, all right, I can, I need to make a better decision next time. So I think it's just having that open mind that you're going to do the best you can, but it, it may take a couple tries. Yeah, yeah, totally. My answer for how do you build a strong team? So actually I'll build off of that and I guess say to reduce these scenarios where it's like, crap, we screwed up there <laughs> and that wasn't the right partner or whatever, is really invest your time into building out what's the what's the journey I, that I'm trying to sell to these people? What's the story I'm trying to sell to them, whether it is the, the manufacturing partners or the team members you're hiring? Because if there's a journey that, if there's a story that they can buy into, then it's a journey they want to be along the ride for. Yeah. And that's when, you know, we, our last episode we did with Justin where we talked about people will work for your blood, your sweat and tears, not just for your money, if they yeah. are on board with that mission and that, that why. Yeah. Lisa, totally. how do you build strong teams? Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. That's great. And I think it, um, the other point is that in teamwork, there is less me and more we, you know, and, and if we can just, um, if you can establish collaborative uh, working style from the beginning, then together you're able to achieve a lot more. Uh, and that collaborative style involves communication, um, to be able to communicate your frustrations, but also, you know, be able to also compliment and, you know, push each other along um, and to show that support, that unity uh, that can build a stronger foundation. And, and then again, it's about you know, you should be able to laugh together. If you can laugh together, you can work together and enjoy and enjoy the experience rather than feeling that it is a, a work. Is you know, I'm just do, here to do my day job and that's it. It's like really feeling the connection with the brand, the mission, and then enjoying the experience and the journey. Lisa Son Paul, thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. That wraps up this conversation. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your experience, your journey, your story with our audience. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe to the show on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find the show. For full show notes, references, and resources, as well as Lisa's contact information, grab it all by heading to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And while you're there, check out our over 100-episode archive. That'll do it for season eight, ladies and gentlemen. We have reached our season finale, a season that included our 100th overall episode. We were so excited to bring this to you this season. We are taking an extended break before we roll into season nine. Victoria and I have to do a little bit of strategizing, a little bit of planning around the show. Don't worry, we are not leaving you. We are just taking an extended break. We'll be back in touch when we have a 
clear idea of when Season 9 will launch, but figure roughly two months or so. But in that meantime, again, you can check out our over 100-episode archive through iTunes, through Google Play, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher, or at our website at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. And if you are a startup founder seeking seed or Series A investment, go ahead and hit me up. Send me an email at rajiv at discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Or you can head to the business website, rajnationinnovation.com. Drop me a line there and we can chat and talk about pitching your, your company in the right way to set you up for success and set you up for funding. Thank you again to Lisa So and Paul for joining us for our season finale. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care. And be awesome today. My baby's sweet, I mean she's sweeter than all outdoors. Love.